Say this with me, Father in heaven, thank you for this word. It is the absolute truth, and I believe it. It's your personal love letter to me, and I receive it. It's the answer to my questions and the answer to the world's issues. Lord, today, my ears are ready to hear your word. My heart is ready to receive your word. And I, by faith, am ready to be a doer of the word, no matter what comes my way. Now, Father, as we approach your word today together as one body in Christ Jesus, we thank you that by your Holy Spirit, you're revealing to us more of who you are and more of what you have for us today. I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart will be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Is that a thumbs up? Oh, look at that. Look at that. It's awesome. Okay, keep this one live because I will end up using this one as well. I'll put it right here. You guys are great. We've got an awesome media team here at the church. Great to serve with them. They work behind the scenes all the time. Nobody knows half of what they do. So, All right, so here's what we're going to do. You know, I'm so privileged because Pastor John uh, has given me this opportunity to share. And what I want to talk about today is something that's really on his heart. If you have been sitting in a blue chair or been coming to Faith Christian Center for any length of time over the past two years, you know that Pastor John has this weight, this responsibility, this burden that is on his heart. And as he has prayed through, he sees that his responsibility as lead shepherd, as lead pastor here, is to bring us as a congregation to encounter God. You know, we are so hungry and thirsty for more of God, and we're so hungry and thirsty to see our friends and our family members' lives changed. And sometimes we don't know what to do to take what happens here on a Sunday morning and bring it outside of these four walls and transform the lives of our friends and our family members. And many of us have grown up in a time and in a model where each one reach one, each one bring one. And we have this model where we go and we say, hey, come to church with me. And that's great. But Jesus has called all of his disciples to make disciples. And so it's not, as we have seen over the past several years, it's not an evangelism program that's going to grow the church of God. In fact, as you read through the book of Acts, the scripture says that as they did what God had called them to do, it was the Lord who added to the church daily. And so what God wants to do through Pastor John is bring us to this place where we encounter the Lord and as a result, our lives are transformed. Because when our lives are transformed, and not just once, but continually. See, you remember when you first got saved, those of you who are born again, you had a fire that could not be put out. You had something that could not be quenched. And all of a sudden, through the time and the pain and the years and the struggle, that gets dwindled. And we just go through life sort of copacetic. We just kind of make it by and we come to church and we worship and we experience God. We get a little stoke of that fire, but we just go back into our reality. But God has a call upon his people, especially in these last days, that our hearts be stirred with such a fire that it cannot be contained. 
The vision for our church that God has given pastor is a river of living water flowing outside this place. And that is what's going to heal the nations and heal the land. God has brought us here for this very purpose. But see, we have to begin to realize it is not about me. It is not about you. It's not about Pastor John. Not one of us individually can make it happen. But through the Holy Spirit and friends collectively, we can be used of God to get this thing done. As we talk today, I want to talk about what's going to transform our lives. And it's true worship. True. Oh, all right. Well, they already put it up there. Here I am laying the stage and they're just, boom, they got it up there. That's awesome. It's true worship. And to do that, we're going to go over to the book of John chapter 4. As Pastor and I were talking on Friday, I was joking. I was like, Pastor John, we are going to become the church of John chapter 4. We have been in this scripture for so long. Pastor John preached an entire year through John 4. And you know what's amazing? We still haven't scratched the surface of John chapter 4. We're going to talk about true worship today. And to do so, we're going to read about 28 verses. This will be our only text today. We're going to read John chapter 4. Verses 2 all the way through 30. And we're going to draw our study on true worship from these passages. We're going to read it twice. We'll read it once together. Then I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to ask you to respond. And then we're going to read it again, breaking each verse down. So when you get to John chapter 4, I'd like you to go to verse 3 and then shout at me and say, I got it. All right, John chapter 4, verse 3. He who is Jesus, left Judea and departed again to Galilee. But he needed, everyone say needed. needed. Say it again, needed. needed. He needed to go through Samaria. So he came to the city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat by the well. It was about the sixth hour, or as we understand, twelve noon. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Everyone say, a woman. woman. Everyone say, of Samaria. Samaria. It's going to become important in a little while. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? Why? Because Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir... You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then are you going to get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, Go and call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. And this you spoke truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive you're a prophet. 
Our fathers worshiped in this mountain, and you Jews say that Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming and now is when you will neither worship in this mountain nor in Jerusalem, but worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Verse 27 And at this point, the disciples came and they marveled, we'll talk about that, that he had talked to a woman, yet no one said to him, what do you seek or what are you talking with her for? The woman then left her water pot, everyone say left, her water pot, went her way into the city and said to the men, come see a man who told me all things I ever did. Could this be the Christ? You know, as we read through these passages, these 28 or so passages, uh, there's really so much in here. In fact, every time I read it, there's a new message that comes to light. I feel that we could preach an entire year on John chapter 4 and still barely get to all that God has for us. But this experience, you may not think about, but this experience, this encounter with this woman at the well is actually a worship experience. This is how God intends our worship to be. But before we go any further, here's what I want you to do. Some of you are looking at your scriptures on a tablet, on a phone. Some of you have a Bible and you have a notebook and a pen. Whatever you have, a tablet, a phone, a notebook and pen, I want you to answer this question right now. So go to your notes section on your phone or on your tablet, pull out a clean sheet of paper. If you're taking notes on a piece of paper and a notepad, I want you to answer this question. What is worship? Answer that question. Don't, don't get all theological on me. What is worship? How do you understand and define worship? And we got plenty of time, so I don't mind giving you some time to write this down. And if you're one who doesn't want to write things down, just think about it in your head. What is worship? Okay, now as you're finishing, as you're finishing... If you're not married to the person next to you, I want you to turn and introduce yourself to the person next to you, and I want you to share with them what you wrote down, even if you are married. If you, just, if you don't know the person next to you, turn, introduce yourself, and share with them what you wrote down. What did you write down? What is worship? Everyone's got to have somebody. There's no talking to yourself. Everyone's got to have somebody. And Charles, I'm going to switch to the handheld.
Okay, you know one thing about me. Two things just happened. Okay? Everybody realized who didn't write down a response. They were getting the quiz. Now the test is coming because now I have the microphone. Now we're going to find out. So no, I, I believe in active participation. That's how we grow, isn't it? That's how we grow. We can't ever get too big that we can't actively participate with one another. So I believe in active participation. So start shaking and getting those nerves out now, okay? Just, just get them out. Get all the wiggles out as we tell the kids. Who would like to share? I'll come to you. Who would like to share? Okay, David. Now, here's the rules. Like Pastor John has laid out all the rules for us. I hold the mic. You tell me what you, what you wrote down, okay? I wrote down, worship is not only praising God, but also obeying God. Ooh, that's good. Obeying God. Good. Okay, let's give him a round so we can make everybody feel encouraged. Okay, right over here. Hi, great to see you. It's been a long time since I've seen you. Wonderful. Hi. Okay. Wait a minute. You're new. It's great. You've been here for like, what, two months? Yeah. That's awesome. What's your name? Kim. Kim. Okay, Kim, what is worship? Acknowledging God and thanking him for what he has done. Acknowledging God. Praising and thanking him for what he has done. Okay, acknowledging God and praising him and thanking him for what he's done. Give Kim a round of applause. Thank you, Kim. And Shannon? Giving my whole heart and being to God. Okay, giving my whole heart and being to God. Now switching to an attitude, which is really good. I'm going to go right over here. Sorry, Mr. Jack. I'll squeeze here. Okay. Worship is honoring God and giving God praise. Honoring God and giving God praise. Very good. Yes, sir. Uh, I wrote down, it is the giving and receiving of Jesus in every moment or most moments throughout your life to others and self. Okay, that's good. Say that again. The giving and receiving of Jesus. Christ. And in every or most moments throughout your life to others and self. Okay, that's good. We're getting some definitions on worship here. All right, Miss Comfort. Worship is a lifestyle of intimacy with God. Okay, we're getting closer. Worship is a lifestyle of intimacy with God. Hey, how are you? I'm going to squeeze right through. Putting God first in everything and in all situations, knowing his word, spending time with him, honoring and glorifying him with dance, song, and any type of art. Okay, good. So now you're bringing it to the action, the outworking of worship. Okay, we're going to take one or two more. I haven't gone to this side, so I'm going to run to the other side. Okay, one, and then I'll go two over here. The placing of God above myself out of love and devotion and total... Out of love and adoration and total devotion. Okay, that's good because now you're bringing it to the attitude. And that is where worship starts. Worship starts with the attitude. We're going to go to this young man and then we'll call it. Worship is a greeting or praise unto God. Ooh, I like that. Worship is a praise or a greeting unto God. Worship is a greeting or praise unto God. Give everybody a round of applause. All right, well, that's good. We're going to break this down into three key areas today. Number one, we're going to talk about the heart of worship because that's, as we listen to all of you, you all brought up one of those. So we're going to talk about the heart of worship. We're going to talk about the transformation of worship, and then we're going to talk about the effect or the impact of worship. And again, the whole reason we're studying out worship today, as we're going to see through this woman at the well, is because when we have encountered the living God in our time of worship, 
There is no program needed to cause me to share the good news with others. And that is the key component. We need to get to that place where it's not a one-time filling. It's not a one-time encounter. And I go out and spend 70 years of my life off of what I experienced once with God when I was 20. It is a continual filling. And that is why we have this time of worship. And so we're going to break this down today. I want to start by by asking you this question. Have you ever seen that person, and it may be me, you ever seen that person who just like instantly is in the presence of God. It's like, what, how do you, like, you know, as soon as they show up at church, they're like, oh, man. It's like, as soon as they close their eyes, I'm like, how, how in the world do you do that? Like, what is that? Is that real? Is, what is that? You know what that is? That's a lifestyle of worship. It is somebody who has practiced worship in their home setting. It is somebody who has made worship a lifestyle for them. It is not a moment in time. It is not an event that they come to. It is a one-on-one, intimate, spirit-to-spirit connection with the living God that transforms them. And that's it. That's what worship is. Worship is a one-on-one, intimate connection with God that transforms us and leads to the transformation of others because we're changed. And so... If you're wondering how that person shows up on Sunday or on Wednesday and they're instantly right there or they're just bouncing off the walls, you know, because they know, number one, what they've been delivered from. That's where praise comes in. When I know what I've been delivered from, I can praise no matter what the situation. When I know where I came from and I know where I'm going, it doesn't matter my circumstance right now, I can praise in whatever situation. And we see that. Paul and Silas stuck in prison. Acts chapter 16. Wow, how could these men who have just been totally, uh, they're on their journey, and then they get stuck in these stocks down there in this nasty place in this, in this jail cell, and they just begin praising God. We look at that, and we make that a formula. Okay, I'm going through a hard time right now. I need you. You know, we go through a hard time. I'm stealing from Pastor Jack now. He's, he did that on Friday. So we go through a hard time and we instantly say, okay, this is the formula. If I want to get out of this hard time, I need to praise right now. But guess what? That's like calling for insurance when your house is on fire. I need insurance right now. You ever seen Paddington Bear, the first Paddington Bear? He's calling for insurance as the upstairs is flooding. And he just locks that insurance in just before the flood destroys the entire house, you know? And that's kind of what that that is when we try to get somewhere where we haven't made a lifestyle of worship. God is after something. See, some of us look at God and we say, well, God is pretty self-absorbed, man. He's got all the angels. I mean, he's just got all this in heaven and he's still not satisfied. Like, what's the deal, God? Like, you're pretty, you know, self-absorbed. Like, you need all this praise. Actually, God doesn't need anything. What he's looking for is you. He's looking for your heart. He's looking for my heart. How do I know that? Well, because right over here, it tells me in verse 23, but the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Why? For the Father is seeking such to worship him. Now, if worship was just one direction, we could look at that and say, oh, well, God is pretty self-absorbed that he needs all the worship of everyone who ever existed, including, you know, the demons bow down and know who he is. 
Well, God is not self-absorbed. And in fact, what he is looking for, worship is two parts. Yes, worship is homage. We pay homage to those whom it is due. It's, a, it's out of reverence. And the first thing that we have to deal with is the heart attitude in worship. An attitude of worship is an attitude of absolute surrender and total devotion. Some of you said that, total devotion to God. That is where I begin in worship. Absolute surrender. I said a moment ago that worship is not an event. It's not a place in time. Worship is not a style. And we're going to see that. You know, sometimes we have so much of our own personal interest, so much of our own personal preference mixed into this experience with God that if it doesn't show up in just the right package, we won't unwrap it. And the living God is here the whole time, but we want it how we want it. And God is saying through Christ here to this woman at the well, if you just receive the gift of God, you'll experience, you'll experience. So the heart of worship is an attitude of absolute surrender and total devotion to God. You know, I struggled at the beginning sometimes because it's like, why do I need to come to God? Why, why can't God just come to me? You know, he, does God know where I am right now? Does he know what I'm going through? Like, why can't he just step out of heaven and come to this earth and meet me right where I am? Right about the moment I said that, I realized, oh, he already did. He already did. You see, we struggle with James 4.8. James 4.8 says, submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Well, I say, God, why can't we reverse that? Why can't you draw near to us so we know your experience, we know your presence, and then we'll just clearly come in? And God says, because I have already come as close as I can through my son, the person of Jesus. I can't get any closer to you because Jesus came in the flesh, and then I gave you what Adam and Eve had. I gave you my spirit in you. There's nothing more that I can do to come close to you. So draw near because I am ever near. Draw near. The spirit of the living God has already been deposited inside of us. Inside of us. Worship is our response to God. He's already done the work. Worship is you and me responding to what he has done in absolute surrender and total devotion. And what we begin to realize in that time of worship is that it's not one directional. God's desire is so much more for you and me than we realize. But you know what? He needs something from us. I'm going to show you today. Let's go back to John chapter 4, and I want to go to verse 7 as we move from the heart of worship to the transformation. Everyone say transformation. Transformation. When we have the right heart in worship, Okay, when we come to God with the right heart in worship, we are totally devoted and absolutely surrendered to him. Then we put ourselves in the position to be transformed in worship. God's desire for you is not just that you come in and have a one-sided relationship. Man, that is so painful for anybody who's ever gone through a one-sided relationship where they give and give and give and give and give and never receive any love back. You do it because it's right, but you know in your heart, it's completely heart-wrenching. It's breaking. It's not the way God intended it. God doesn't intend that for your worship. God doesn't intend that you just give and give and give and give and give and praise and praise and praise and praise. And he just says, thank you. Thank you. I deserve it all. That's it. That's the wrong image of God. Draw near to me 
and I will draw near to you. You see, but if we want to be transformed, we have to come to God with that right heart attitude. In verse 7, a woman of Samaria, first of all, she's got two strikes against her. We need to talk about these two strikes. You know, three strikes and you're out, this woman has two. Number one, she's a woman, okay? It's It's not politically correct. It is not legally correct for a Jew, a male Jew, maybe in other cultures, but a male Jew to talk to a woman, let alone, second strike, Samaritan, okay? If you haven't figured out in your Bible study by now that the Samaritans were half breeds, the Jews hated them. They couldn't stand the Samaritans. As a result, the Samaritans hated the Jews. And so, It's interesting because when we read through the scripture, I just want you to see this with your eyes. In verse 3, go back to verse 3 with me. It says, he left Judea and departed to Galilee. Verse 4 is so critical. But he needed to go through Samaria. Okay. Now, geographically, Judea is here. Galilee is here. And Samaria is in the middle. So, okay, yeah, he needed to go through Samaria. But, you know, God wastes nothing. He didn't just need to pass through Samaria because if he really wanted to, he could have jumped on a boat and gone around this way. He needed to go through Samaria because he knew that there was something lost in Samaria that he wanted to reconcile back to him. And it is so interesting because when we think about this, Jesus knew very clearly what he was doing because he was breaking all the cultural expectations by talking to a woman, let alone a Samaritan woman at the well. So don't tell me that Jesus just geographically had to travel through Samaria. He was looking for what is lost. Isn't that what the scripture says? That he has come to seek and save that which is lost. And you know what? Sometimes you show up in worship. You come out to Sunday morning or sometimes you wake up in the morning. On uh, 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 Monday morning, you think we had a great day at church yesterday, but man, I can't even worship right now. I can't even seek God. I, all you come with is your natural and Jesus has a way of taking our natural and transforming it into supernatural and that's what we see here with this woman is if we will just show up if we will just show up with the right attitude that God will move among us he will have his way among us but we need to take that step this woman came out to the well all she thought she was going for was water well she starts to begin to realize there's something more here than just water so the first thing we see is that Jesus has come near to us you know what you're never too unworthy for Jesus to come near to you you might have graced the doors today barely making it in you might have thoughts of suicide you might have all these things plaguing your mind well that's not God. You're being racked by the devil. He is a liar. He hates you. He wants to see you destroyed because he knows that the seed of God gets inside of you, that you will go out and be who God has come, be called you to be, and you will transform the world. He doesn't want that seed. He doesn't want that word to take root inside of you. You might've barely made it through the door this morning. And God wants you to know just by showing up, I'm going to help you trade in your water pot, your natural expectation for a supernatural expectation. You came and you barely made it through the door, but I'm glad you come this morning, says the Lord. He knew what he was doing when he showed up at this well to meet this woman. She came for something natural and all praise God. She left with something supernatural. So Jesus says to her, give me a drink. This is really interesting here because, again, Jesus is breaking all cultural expectations, talking to a woman, let alone a Jew. Now, he could talk to a woman if she was accompanied by a male, and we're going to see that in just a moment. But he surely shouldn't be talking to a Samaritan woman. And yet he says to her something intimate like, give me a drink. You know, the woman responds, realizing he's broken a cultural barrier here, and she says, she puts it back on him. Look at this, verse 8. 
For his disciples had gone away to the city to buy food. And the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you being a Jew ask me for a drink, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. She's explaining to him, You have just broke a cultural expectation. Jesus begins to talk to her. But in verse 11 is what I want you to see. The woman said to him, Sir, you, you have nothing to draw with. You see, Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. He knew he didn't have anything to draw with. But she knows, I can't share my water pot with this Jew. I, I, that's, that's totally wrong for me. I he won't allow it, and I won't allow it. You know, sometimes we come into the house of God, or we try to approach that place of worship, and we think, what, what, do, I, what do I have to offer God? I'm, I'm a little bit of nothing. Like, I, you know, what is my praise? What does my worship matter, especially in this group of people who are so much more spiritually mature than me? But Jesus said, give me a drink. Jesus said, give me a drink, not from what I've brought, but from what you have brought. What if she would have just turned around and used her water pot to bring up a drink for him? The Bible says he was wearied from his journey. He said, give me a drink. So I want to encourage you in your time of worship, both private and public, that when you come, as pastor said earlier, what's in your hand? What can you give to God? What can you naturally give to him to satisfy his longing? Did you know that the father longs? Did you know that the father seeks? It tells us right here in verse 23, he's seeking such to worship him. The father longs. He's not looking for praise and admiration from you and adoration from you. Guess what? He's got angels to do that. He's looking for your heart because he wants an intimate connection with you. God has done everything on his side to bring reconciliation and restoration back to humankind. We now have to respond. And worship is a response. You see, I, when we were teaching the Bible class in Seacon Christian Academy over the school year, uh, God gave me this visual. Adam and Eve were like this. This is God. This is Adam and Eve. They were like this. And all of a sudden, when sin happened, it became like this. God had to close himself off and couldn't come as near because of sin. God is holy. He can't come as near. But then what happened is God says, I'm going to restore and I'm going to reconcile. So God opened up his side through the person of Jesus and made way for us to come. But guess what, friends? It's a two-sided coin. It's a double, it's a relationship. We have to open up our side to be fully reconciled back to God. We have a part to play. Jesus said, give me a drink. When you come to the house of God, what do you come with? Do you have the right heart attitude? Can you, can you expect for God to move if you're just willing to give him and satisfy the longing? Maybe it's out of pain that you lift up hands and praise him. Maybe it's just out of practice. It's rote. You lift up hands and praise him. And he says, I can take that. I can take that. I can take that because if you just release a little bit, I will open up and satisfy you. What did he say to the woman at the well? If you knew the gift of God and him who asked you for a drink, you would have said, give me living water and I would have given you something that can't be quenched. You see, we have to come. God knows. God knows. We can come in a natural state. We can come. If you're weak, you can come with what you have. This woman has her water pot. She comes. Now there does come that place where we want to come filled up. We want to come ready to go, but we can come no matter what state we're in. We might feel like we're on the top of the mountain, or we might feel like we're in the lowest valley, but we can meet together and get to God simply by starting with the right attitude and the right heart in praise and the right heart in worship. 
Jesus has the power to take what is natural and transform it into something supernatural. Verse 10, the woman said to him, how is it that you being a Jew ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Jesus begins to move on here because he's starting to realize, she starts to realize a few things. Let's read down here. Uh, I want to go to where he calls her out, if you have, okay. Verse 19, if you will, please. Talking about the transformation in worship. Verse 19, the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Now it almost looks like she changes the, the conversation here. She says, sir, it looks like you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. What she's actually doing is saying, wait a minute, if you're a prophet and you're here in Samaria, maybe it's because we have it right and the Jews have it wrong. See, what you have to do a little historical research, and you have to realize that the Jews had Jerusalem established by God. That was where God wanted to be worshiped at the time. Well, the Samaritans were so ticked off and so mad that they erected their own temple, and they decided on this mountain, we're going to worship. The Jews won't let us come in there. Well, we're going to worship here. And so this woman started to realize, wait a minute, if you just read my mail, we're going to talk about that in a minute. If you just read my mail and told me who I really was, you must be a prophet. And for you to show up here in Samaria, maybe we've got it right. And Jesus begins to say to her here something that's so important. Verse 21, Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. It is not about where we worship. This is a building. I've got news for you and me. The Spirit of God does not reside all the time in this building. He resides inside of you, okay? And so if this building was gone tomorrow, we could still worship in the parking lot. Heaven could still come down in the parking lot because it's not about this building anymore. From Moses to Solomon, we had the tabernacle and the Spirit of God rested on the mercy seat. That's where his spirit was. Then from Solomon all the way till Jesus, we had the temple where the spirit of the living God was. But remember on the day that Jesus died, something amazing happened. The temple was shattered. The the curtain was broken and the spirit of God left, left that Ark of the Covenant and went back to heaven but only for a little while. Because when Jesus went to heaven, the spirit of the living God came back to us personally. See, Jesus had to cleanse us first. He had to make us righteous first. Remember, if you know the walk of the the tabernacle, you have the outer court. You got to slay. That's where the sacrifice was. You got to move into that holy place where we have the incense offering going up to God. But Jesus brought us automatically as far as God is concerned. Jesus already brought us to the holy of holies. And so all we have to do is step in. He said, worship in spirits and in truth. It's in spirit. It's not in a building. You could go and find the Ark of the Covenant tomorrow. Guess what? Use it for firewood because it doesn't matter anymore. The spirit of the living God is inside of you, is inside of me. And that is what transforms our heart. Now think about it. The power is you have the spirit. What is there? Some 300, 400 people in this room right now. Jesus said, wherever two, two, what power is in this room right now? Because three or 400 people who have the same spirit are here. The world doesn't want us to think that. The devil doesn't want us to think that. There's more power in two of us here than there is 
in the whole world out there. More power where two are gathered together in his name. And what Jesus is trying to communicate to us is that this place of worship is transformational. It's, it's not where you go. It's not, it's not the place. It's not the style. You don't like the style of worship we do? That's okay. Because you can worship in spirit and you can worship in truth. It doesn't have to be your taste. It doesn't have to be my taste. It's so interesting because last year when we took over worship, people were saying to us, what style are you going to do? Are you going to turn us into a complete rock band? And I'm like, no. My wife and I just said, all we're after is true worship. All we want is true praise. I don't care what package it comes in. We just want true praise. We just want true worship so that we can experience God the way that he wants us to experience him. Worship is no longer a geographical location. The spirit of the living God lives inside of each and every one of us here. And the the, the third thing I want to see under the transformation of worship I want to share with you today is that when we come to worship, we have to be willing to be vulnerable. See, we all walk in into the church building with these walls, okay? Every one of us does. If we're completely honest, we have learned life hurts. We have learned people hurt. And so even in the church building, we've been burned by one another. We ourselves have burned one another. We have hurt one another. And so we walk in, praise the Lord, hallelujah, all the time. You can't touch, really what you're saying is you can't touch me. You can't touch me. And see, what Jesus is trying to do is he's trying to penetrate that wall. Now, I'm not saying everybody that walks in, praise the Lord, hallelujah, we have our confession of faith. I'm not negating that. What I am saying is that we often walk around with this wall and this bubble. We live inside this wall because we've been hurt. But worship is a place of vulnerability. We have to be willing to be vulnerable, first to the Father and second with one another. So I sing off key. Well, is your your worship going to be ruined because I sing off key? I like to dance. Is your worship going to be hindered? Am I all of a sudden in the flesh because I like to dance? See, God's desire is that that wall of vulnerability be broken down first with him and then with one another so that we can have that true place of worship. And, and, and Jesus reads her mail right here. This is awesome. This is amazing. Verse 16, Jesus said to her, oh, I'll go, go, well, go, go back to verse 15. Oh, just go to verse 13, because it's good here. Jesus answered and said to her, verse 13, whoever drinks of this natural water from Jacob's well will thirst again. Remember, she came for something natural. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up to everlasting life. Hey, that sounds good to anybody. No marketing necessary. This sounds great to everybody. So the woman said, sir, give me this water. I don't want to thirst and I don't want to come back here to draw. It's a long walk. And Jesus says, okay, go and call your husband and come here. Oh, you got mail. He just read her mail. The woman said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have well said, I have no husband. Now, you know, he thought he read her mail, and now he goes a little further. Uh, Actually, you've had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. In this you spoke truly. She said to him, sir, I perceive you are a prophet. I'm pretty sure it's not written in that King James language. I'm pretty sure it doesn't sound like that. Like, whoa! All right, sorry, you're definitely a prophet, okay? So we've got this issue here. Jesus says, go and call your husband and come near. 
because he's going to share with them both. Now, Jesus knows the cultural expectations. He knows the cultural barriers, but he's willing to be vulnerable with her. In fact, when we little fur- read a little further, we see that the disciples show up, and even they know you are really breaking the rules here, buddy. You should not be talking to this woman. But Jesus isn't afraid. Mm. Jesus is not afraid of her mess. Jesus is not scared or intimidated by her mess. Because who is Jesus? He is Emmanuel, God with us. He is God come near to us. You don't think God knew you had that mess when he showed up on the earth? He's not scared of your mess. You see, you got to be willing to come to that place of vulnerability where you will let your mess go for the sake of having a true worship encounter with him. God is often able to confront and correct our heart issues in our time of worship. I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm standing here in worship and maybe I've come in. I've come in with a chip on my shoulder. I've come in bearing a lot of weight and issues going on with the family and with the world, whatever it is. And God, while I'm standing here, just a little correction, a little adjustment, willing to confront my mess. You see, and I've seen it as I've stood up here to lead worship. And I talked to some of the young people, and I remember what it was like as a young person growing up. You think, oh, well, the people who are up here, man, they got it all together. They're perfect. Well, guess what? If you're waiting to be perfect, you'll never be used by God. You'll never experience the true transformation that God has for you. We show up each and every week willing to be vulnerable in the presence of God. And our vulnerability is displayed. (laughs) And people remind you. People remind you. You know, but I'm just sharing my heart here because we need that. We need that place of vulnerability. See, we have to be willing to, when we come in worship, we need to be willing to let God confront and correct any of those heart issues. And that's exactly what he does here with this woman. He says, listen, you're not even married right now. You're dealing with all these issues. And you know what's interesting? Does Jesus lambaste her? Does he like sharply rebuke her? No. He knows. This is what's so loving about Jesus. The same with the woman caught in adultery. He knows that the mere conviction has already transformed, transformed her heart. Isn't that what the scripture tells us later on in the book of John? That it's the responsibility of the Holy Spirit to convict the world. You see, we have to be willing to become vulnerable and allow Jesus to confront us in worship. God is seeking you. He is longing for you. We have three parts here. We have the heart in the attitude of worship. We have the transformation of worship, which we have just looked at. And then we have the effect or the impact of worship. Because here's the deal, friends. Our worship should not stop here. Our worship should not just be about us. Our worship, a true encounter with the living God, will transform us and in effect, change the world. Because it transforms our heart. We're going to see that here with this woman. I want you to go, uh, let's just read through again here. I want to go to verse 19. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worship will worship the Father 
in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said, I who speak to you am. Verse 27, at this point, his disciples came, and they marveled that he had spoke to a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek, or why do you talk with her? The woman left her water pot. See, one of the things that we have to realize is our transformation that takes place in worship is we may come to worship with something natural, but when the transformation takes place, we don't even remember that natural thing that we brought, and we run away because we've been fully transformed. She left her water pot. Okay, you don't go to the well and leave your water pot because that is the sustenance for your family. That is everything they need. Water is the basis of all human life. They need that water. But she had living water, didn't she? She had such a transformation that she forgot about this natural water pot. You know what? It might be really hard sometimes to come in through the doors and to lift up holy hands and praise and worship. It might be hard on Monday morning when nobody else is there to lift up holy hands and praise and worship. But if you're willing to do that, if you bring your natural, Jesus will turn it into supernatural. And that is what he does in our time of worship. You get so focused on worshiping him, he starts to fill you up with the living water. You don't even remember what the issue was to begin with. She left her water pot. She left the reason she went there to begin with. It's awesome. We let those things hinder our worship when if we just lift up holy hands and and an opportunity to worship him, he'll transform us from the inside out. When we encounter the living God, he touches our lives and we leave behind what we came looking for. We share our experience with others. We see that here in verse 29. Come and see the man whom told me all the things that I ever did, could this be the Christ? And what happened? They went. They went. Now Jesus continues to break the cultural barriers, and he stays there for another day or two, spending time with these Samaritans. And that shows me that Jesus is serious about those whom he came to seek and to save. You know, I don't know what your position is today. I don't know where you are. I do know this. That God is seeking true worshipers. True worship is not a style. It's not about a place. Jesus changed the idea of worship from a place to a who. He says, it's not this mountain. It's not that mountain. It's the Father. See, as we look up and begin to worship the Father, he fills us with that living water. We don't have to know how it happens or how it's going to happen or what we need to do. We need to get those formulas out of our head and we need to be willing to come in a heart, reverence, attitude, and worship the Father and allow Him to transform us because, friends, when our life is transformed, we will not be able to be capped. We will not be able to be quenched. And as we continue to worship in our personal lives and in our public corporation, corporate worship together on Sunday and Wednesday, we will continue to be filled and we will continue to share this good news with all those who are broken, all those who are hurting. I go back to what I said at the beginning. Two things I have heard continually from Pastor John, which is why we need to get ready, which is why we so need to have this true worship, because God knows he is leading Pastor John to lead us outside these doors, to reach a lost and a dying and a hurt world, a world that has even been hurt by church. But we have the power through the Spirit 
if we encounter the living God in our time of worship, we don't need a program to go out there. Two things. Pastor John feels God has laid on his heart to bring us to encounter the living God. But that's not just for us. That's for the second thing, so that we can go out and make disciples in all the world to preach the good news to every creature. That is why we are here. That is why we are here. And so we want to allow God to transform our hearts. TJ, you can come now. We want to allow God to transform our hearts. I want to encourage you right now, whether you want to stand or whether you want to sit, we're just going to have a time of reflection. I want to encourage you to begin to worship God how you know. You see, Jesus didn't show up and, and tell the woman at the well how uh, she had to worship. He just simply told her it's worshiping the Father in spirit and in truth. And I want to give you a few moments just to begin to worship and connect with God on that personal level so that when we come together corporately, we can worship together. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Just let him transform your heart. In these few moments, come with what you have. Whatever it is, whatever natural thing you can bring, come. Let him begin to transform your heart. If you know it, sing it. When the music fades, all is stripped away, and I simply come, longing just to bring something that's of worth that will bless your heart. song in itself is not what you have required you search much deeper within to the way things appear you're looking into my heart I'm coming back to heart of worship. It's all about you. It's 
all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made, but it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. It's all about you, Jesus. It's all about you. It's all about you. I just want to encourage you to close your eyes, whether you're standing or sitting, and that just gives us an opportunity to forget about everyone and everything around us. King of endless worth, no one could express. How much you deserve I feel weak and poor But all I have is yours Every single breath I'll bring you more than a song For a song in itself is not what you have required you search much deeper within to the way things appear you're looking into my heart i'm coming back to yeah just sing it just sing it this morning it's all about you, it's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the Let's sing it again. I'm coming back to It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing of It's all about you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. It's all about you. It's all about you want to ask you right now, wherever you are, just to locate yourself, search your heart. Search your heart. Have you come to the well? Have you come to the well? Because he will fill you with living water. He will fill you with living water. take your seat God desires that we intimately connect with him not just on Sunday not just on Wednesday but God is seeking us to worship in spirit and in truth on a daily basis and we do that our heart is transformed our life is transformed he can convict he can correct he can adjust the things that needed to be adjusted inside of us as we get ready to wrap up, I want to ask you this question today. 
Have you even come to the well yet? Have you even come to know Jesus? Maybe you've been coming to church for a long time. Maybe today's your first day. Wherever you are, have you come to know Jesus? Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and nobody comes to the Father except through me. See, religion will always work from the outside in. It'll try to make us feel better by doing more, but it can never make us righteous and holy in God's sight. Only Jesus can. Have you received his righteousness? Today, if you're here and you've never been born again, as Jesus said, what does that mean? It means you confess that you are lost without him. Jesus Christ is the only way, truth, and life, and you need him to live. Jesus said, anyone who comes to me, I will by no means cast away. So have you come to know Jesus? If not, I'd like to introduce you. He's a faithful friend. And if you're here today and you've never surrendered your life to God, you've never surrendered to Jesus, today's your day. Can I pray with you? Can you let me know simply by raising your hand so I can pray with you together? Maybe you're here today and you are a follower of Christ. But this world has gotten you so beat down. It's so hard to lift your hands and praise. It's so hard. You don't even know where to begin. So you started running from God instead of running to him. But you're in more of a mess and you haven't found the solution. I want to encourage you to come back home today. And if that's you, can you lift your hands so I could pray with you? Many of us have found ourselves there. If that's you, lift your hand so I could pray with you.